raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Halfway through the 12 o'clock hour already, Jake Query along with Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook. It is Query and Company here on 93.5, 107.5. The fan joining us on the hotline. You hear him, of course, in the mornings. The wake-up call with KB and Andy Kevin Bowen joins us. Kevin, I will get right to the meat of the matter, which I know probably will stun you. Uh, first time I've done that in conversations we've had on the air. But uh, let's let's go with the big three, and you tell me if you believe that we know officially or what the signs are pointing towards in terms of availability for Sunday, beginning with Anthony Richardson. Yeah, uh, official word will come in like the next half hour, but I would say no. I Gardner Minshew, that's my expectation. Okay, and then, boy, I'm going to put the cart way before the horse here, Kevin. Does that in any way, shape, or form even point towards, like, how long this could be? Or do you think – like, in other words, do you think that there might be a a longer multi-week issue here? Or would you say it's more likely this is – I know it's a protocol, so there you have to go within that, but just being cautious as well. Yeah, uh, no, it's a totally fair question. I, I would bet that he plays against the Rams. You know, typically when you see guys with extended absences with concussions, you usually don't see them in this first week. And we saw Richardson in practice every single day. I mean, hell, today he was like getting in a cornerback stance as a DB, trying to help the wideouts with their breaks as he was watching practice, as if he wasn't dressed for practice. So, I mean, if you're a guy that's going to be out multiple weeks or even maybe another week you would not be out in 85-degree heat with the sun beating down you and being exposed to light and loud music and all of that. So I would think all signs – and Ryan Kelly's been in practice the last two days, so I would say good signs on both of those guys returning next week. Okay, so the follow-up question about Richardson would be this, Kevin. Realistically speaking, I know that we want to see Anthony Richardson. I know he's the future, and I know he did some pretty dynamic things before he got hurt and you know some eye-opening things, but – Against Baltimore, especially if it's going to be rainy conditions, etc., which quarterback realistically right now gives the Colts a better chance to win a game right now? Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I don't I still think it's Richardson, I, especially a game like this where you're going to need to be pretty dynamic. You're going to need, I think, to be pretty multiple. I think with Minshew... Um, well, you know, whatever. He might stay away from the big turnover. But, I mean, to be fair to Richardson, it's not like we've seen that outside of the pick with Jacksonville. It, it, to me, it just seems so methodical, death by a thousand paper cuts with Minshew. That's what you need. You need these 10, 12-play drives. And without Richardson, I, I think it's going to be really hard to come by. And, you know, I think when you factor in Ryan Kelly's injury and a third-string center, I mean, Zach Moss is not a game-breaking running back. He's a methodical runner as well. So another reason why I would point to Richardson, uh, you know, obviously Menchu did nice work when he got in the game in Houston. And, I mean, you know, he's had moments certainly as a starter, but I'm pretty sure he's lost like eight of his last nine starts in the NFL. I mean, let, let's not act like, you know, this is whatever, the second coming of, you know, Tom Brady here replacing Bledsoe. I mean, this is something that – I, I still feel from a dynamic standpoint when you lack the playmakers that they do offensively, uh, I'd rather take the uh, the risk-reward with with uh, Richardson than I would Minshew. Kev, I know you just kind of alluded to Ryan Kelly, but so if your gut feeling is on display right now, is he out, in fact, for the matchup against the Ravens? And if he is, in your mind, 
what type of task or caution should be provided with Wesley French getting the nod and pairing up with Gardner Minshew? Yeah, I think it's a bigger loss, Jimmy, in, in the short term for Sunday, Brian Kelly to Wesley French than Anthony Richardson to Gardner Minshew. I just when you factor in the depth chart. A Sunday will be Wesley French's first ever NFL start. I mean, that's quite the environment to walk into. That's quite the defense to walk into. I mean, the, the, the stat is astonishing to me. If you look at Baltimore's last five home games, they've allowed one touchdown in those five home games. I mean, that's 300 minutes of football. And, sure, the quarterbacks aren't, you know, all pro guys by any means that they've played in that stretch, but it's not like you'd label Minshew as an all pro guy. And then again, you throw in a third string center because Danny Penter, of course, is out for the year and his first NFL start. Uh, it's different than when you, I think when you go in during the game, it's not like Houston could have overhauled everything last week in terms of trying to attack that. You know, Baltimore's had pretty much a full week of assuming that Ryan Kelly couldn't go. Um, so I, I do think that's a big loss. Now, Positive injury news, Kenny Moore was practicing uh, earlier, and I think that's huge because the secondary but had some issues last week and experience issues, tackling issues. I think Kenny Moore is a sound tackler and has played pretty well, and Zay Flowers is a really dynamic first-round pick wideout for Baltimore. So um, I do think that's important considering all the injuries for both of these teams. And Baltimore's got much more, many of them, uh, than Indianapolis does, but I thought it was important uh, for Kenny Moore to be back at practice today. Kevin, when when the Colts are, and maybe this isn't an applicable question right now because of the Richardson situation, but you've been around it, you've been at a lot of practices over the years, when you have a young quarterback, and so we'll compare it, say, to like when you were watching when they had Rivers or or even Matt Ryan, when you have a young quarterback, how much of what the Colts are game planning is simply developing that quarterback and coming up with game plan that caters to him? as opposed to nuancing the opponent of that week and tailoring an offense towards Baltimore's weaknesses defensively. Are, are they, and again, it's hard to say because Richardson this week hasn't practiced, but does it seem any different in terms of the way they outline things in terms of like the training wheels offensively in terms of not necessarily getting into what the opponent is providing? Yeah, I think you got to try and mix both of that, and I think they have. Like, for example, you go back to week one, they really did not want to throw the ball to the left side of the field against Jacksonville. Tyson Campbell, Jacksonville's top corner, primarily plays on that side of the field, really good young corner. And then, sure enough, the one time they did throw to the left side of the field, or one of the very few times, I should say, Campbell picks off the ball to kind of ice that game. So I think that's kind of an area that you see that. Um, they obviously want to have some design runs in there to play to Richardson's strengths. But for the most part, I would say right now it's been a little bit more from an opponent-centric slash, yes, you want to make sure you're in that Richardson part of the playbook that you know he feels the best at. I know we only saw him for really one quarter on Sunday, but I, I still am a little surprised through the five quarters he's played. We've yet to really see any deep shots down the field just because I do feel like that not only is a strength of his, I also think it's – you know, right now, one of the only things Alec Pierce has showed the ability to do in the NFL. So I would think that would be something you would want to do and try and kind of wake him up a little bit and just show a defense, hey, and particularly last week with Houston, and obviously the injuries played into it, but they were in uh, Richardson's injury, I mean. You know, but they were missing both their starting safeties and their third stringer got hurt early in that game as well. I think that would have been a, an opportunity to kind of test some things down the field. So, yeah, I mean, a little bit opponent-centric. Uh, obviously, the playbook looks much different with Minshew than it would Richardson. 
Um, so probably a, probably a mixture of both. Kevin Bowen's our guest. You know him, 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070 as our Colts insider on 1075thefan.com. KB, who's your X-factor from an offensive standpoint this weekend? You mentioned how stout this Ravens defense appears to be, and there's been questions the last year and a half about this wide receiver room. The hope is with Minshew, it allows them to still grow and develop because he's a competent quarterback. But who, who has the most to gain in this matchup and the biggest playmaker you think for the Colts offense this weekend yeah I hope this isn't a cop-out but I'll say like guys making plays with the ball (laughs) in their hand and and, you know whoever you want to label there maybe it's Michael Pittman you know making some stuff after the catch maybe it's Josh Downs in the open field you know maybe it's one of these tight ends I mean Mo'Ally Cox caught a screen and no one for Houston wanted to tackle him and the one guy that did got concussed on the play so you know, those guys trying to do stuff post-catch, I think, is what I'll be watching for. Because, again, with Minshew, it's getting the ball out quick, finding guys early in routes. I think if you look at last week, he got the ball out, you know, right up. I think it was like top five in the NFL of, of you know, the 30-some quarterbacks that played last week. So, you know that ideally it is a very quick rhythm passing game. Well, that typically means underneath stuff. Um, if I'm not mistaken, too, I think Baltimore against Cincinnati last week – I don't think Burrow, had, I don't think he attempted. I know it wasn't any completions over 15 yards. I don't know if he had an attempt past 15 yards down the field. So expect dink and dunk. And if you're going to do that, I think it's hard to create 12-play, 82-yard drives. So if that's the case, you're going to have to make some plays after the catch. You know, guys miss tackles, those sorts of things. Colts have really not been that type of team here recently. Um, but there's been a few moments, and by recently I mean like in the last handful of years, but I think there's been some moments this season where you've seen some stuff after the catch from Pittman, from Downs a little bit, from their tight end. So um, I, I I know individually, I don't know if that's like a fantasy football question indirectly, but um, I would just say guys doing stuff on their end and not just relying on Minshew's arm strength per se to set up your big plays. Kevin, I asked um, Jimmy this earlier, so I will ask you. Last night I'm watching – you know, San Francisco looks really good. I think Dallas is really good. And obviously Philly, you know, Jimmy mentioned Philly, who I'd like forgotten about momentarily. But then it seems like there's a fall off in the NFC. You know, the AFC is pretty log jammed. Who do you think's the fourth best assuming that you agree those are probably right now the three best teams in the NFC, unless I'm missing somebody, who's the fourth best NFC team? Okay, you said Dallas, Philly, and San Fran, right? Yeah. Those are the three that you went with. Uh uh. I mean, it drops off significantly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, no one, no one I feel confident in saying, you know, none of those NFC South teams I believe in just yet. Um, I don't know. Seattle's a bit intriguing. You know, I think winning at, at Detroit's a nice win. They, they laid a you know, clunker in week one against the Rams. What about the fighting Dr. Motmans? Yeah, I, I should probably say that just in case I ever have any heart issues. That I'm ho- hopefully remember that. <laughs> That's but the yeah, Lions, yeah, by the way. Lion pride, come on, roar, bite kneecaps. <laughs> yeah, I need a Jared Goff jersey. Um, I don't know. That's a good one. Packers, I, I don't, didn't they have won last week? I don't know if I'm ready to go there just yet with Jordan Love. But, I mean, that's a crazy part to not get too far ahead. But, you know, Philly or Dallas, I mean, they're going to open up the playoffs on the road. And they're going to be one of those, like, road wild card playoff teams favored by a touchdown. I, no question. You know, taking on, no question. Taking on the, the eight and nine Falcons in the Georgia Dome. Like, and that, and either crazy. Atlanta or New Orleans or even Tampa is going to host a playoff game. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, are the Commanders at two and all? Yeah. I, some of the you know, Commanders two and all, the Bucks, the Saints. I, I'm just not ready to say. I'm all in on the Commanders, Kevin. Yeah. I'm all in on the Commanders. Daniel Snyder's a puke. He sold the team, and so now they're going to be good. Really? Gosh, is this like your Orioles fandom spilling over here? Well, same area, you know. I mean, the, the, yeah, same. The cute fella, the, the the vibe of the cute fella hat of the Orioles. Who again, cute fella is just saying, "Hey, root for me." The, it, it carries over into the D.C. area to the Commanders, right? The, the Commanders thing is only the second craziest thing that's been said today on the show. In the last three years, the Commanders have gotten rid of Daniel Snyder and Carson Wentz. What the hell is there not to like? It's a fair point, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a lot of times I've uh, looked at you and thought, what the hell did you just say? But that comment's maybe one of your more brilliant ones. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, and then next is going to be the name. Apparently they're changing that again. So, you know, although the Commanders is kind of cool. Is uh, Saturday night, is that one of those games that you want the media to strike Ohio State and Notre Dame? Oh, man, you oh, stole my segue. No you stole question. my segue. No God. question, Kevin. I mean, listen. Kev, I'm going, so it can't strike. I'm, I'll lose my life there. Don't let that happen, please. Well, we'll we'll give you fair warning. How's that? Okay, good. Uh, the, the good news for me, Kevin, is Sunday morning I'm going to wake up and either Ohio State or Notre Dame got beat. The bad news is I'm going to wake up and one of the two of them is going to be on a fast track towards the playoffs, Woo! right? Which one's it going to be? I'd like to think I'm talking with my head here and I feel good about Notre Dame. I mean, I, obviously last year I felt like – I mean, it was C.J. Stroud versus Tyler Buckner and Notre Dame had a chance to win that game in the fourth quarter on the road. Like, I mean, and now you can, I hope, I'm accurate in this, you can make the argument it's kind of reversed in terms of Sam Hartman and Kyle McCord. But I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, when they've beaten Clemson the last couple of times, it's been, you know, a big-time special teams play, a big-time pick six, things like that. It's hard to just assume that they're going to have one of those. So I still think Notre Dame, just quarterback-running back combo, the fact that it's at home, it's McCord's first real road start. Sorry, I don't. Out Memorial Stadium in Bloomington is that. Um, I will go with Notre Dame. I really hope I'm talking with my head. I, you know what? I do like Hartman. I watched him at Wake. He's a he's a he's a. You got to respect him, man. He's a good player, no question. He's got he's just he's a gutsy player, but he's a smart quarterback. He's got a good arm. I mean, he's he is. I got no problem with the fact that he's playing well for Notre Dame because I enjoyed him at Wake and I thought he had some some situations where he carried that team. But um, and, and Jimmy knows this. Like these matchups, I mean, when Notre Dame made the playoffs, they've made the playoffs with Ian Book, Everett Golson, and Tommy Reese. Like it, it's not like they've ever made the playoffs with some bona fide quarterback. And here, you know, you 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 theoretically have that, or at least in this matchup, you should have the disparity. But we'll see. Kev, I'm going to go to South Bend. I'm going to bring you back a W, my friend. You have a great weekend. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. Storm the field. <laughs> yeah, all right. I don't know about that. Appreciate you. See you, boys. All right, Kevin Bowen. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
Here we go, Camp Randall, Wisconsin. Right, Eddie? Indeed. I have a trivia question for you while you're jumping around. You ready? What you is have it? A, you have a connection to our next guest. What is it? No idea. Where did you just vacation? I went to Colorado. Where in Colorado? I went to Colorado Springs. It is my understanding perhaps you could have seen the monument that was erected for the birthplace of our next guest. Pat Forty from Sports <laughs> Illustrated joins us now. Pat, am I correct in that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just a little bit smaller than the Washington Monument. <laughs> um, I was a little put off by that, but That's they did right. their best. I guess the, the, the real question would be, so Colorado Springs, I'm trying to think, is CSU in Colorado Springs? I know the Air Force Academy is in Colorado Springs. Uh, Colorado yeah. State Fort is Collins. Fort Collins. That's right. Okay. Yep. And then yep. Greeley is the University of Northern Colorado, right? You got it. University yep. of no credit. Okay. Um, <laughs> Pat, huge weekend in college football. And let's begin with the one that we were just talking about. And I appreciate your time, by the way, for joining us here on the show. Um, Notre Dame and Ohio State is, is the big one here. And around here, obviously, Jimmy, amongst others, I know you're rooting for Notre Dame, Jimmy. Indeed. Pat, you see this game going which way? Are these two teams equivalents, or is one of the two, and I don't know which it would be, uh, resting on laurels to this point? Well, you know, I think it's hard to say, given the competition, but we're going to find out Saturday night. Uh, I think Notre Dame can win, should win, perhaps. Uh, You know, I think this is uh, one of the better Notre Dame teams we've seen in the last few years, and probably not a great Ohio State team. Uh, You know, I think Sam Hartman elevates uh, Notre Dame's offense to a place it hasn't been in a long time. Uh, I've been saying that I think he's the best quarterback at Notre Dame since Joe Montana. Um, If you go back and look, it sounds crazy, but the competition isn't that tough. It's like Rick Meyer, Tony Rice, who ran the option very well, uh, Jimmy Clausen, and Brady Quinn. And Sam Hartman's thrown for over 13,000 yards in his college career. He's off to a great start there, and I think he's a difference maker uh, for Notre Dame that maybe does more than equal the playing field with uh, with Ohio State's talent. You know, that kind of illuminates or, or, or sheds light on the point that, that to me is the most fascinating, Pat, about this season, and this is probably where we're headed now in college athletics, but, you know, Hartman a transfer, obviously. The portal seems to have changed things and, and balanced out, I think, a lot of teams. So I'll ask you the question I've asked a couple people this week. What would you put as the over-under on the total number of losses that will be represented amongst the four playoff teams this year? Mm, Good question, because I do agree that I think it's a little more balanced field. Um, The thing is, gosh, uh, Georgia doesn't play anybody, so I think they can get through undefeated, even though they, they would have a difficult matchup in an SEC championship game at least in theory. And, of course, theoretically, um, they could drop that game and still get in if they're undefeated, yeah, right? right. Yeah, if they're, yeah. if they're number one, um, probably. So, But I think, I think the Big Ten winner is likely to lose a game. Um, I think uh, the Pac-12 is absolutely they're going to lose games out there because the, uh, the balance and, and the quality of teams. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to say that at most we have one undefeated team, maybe two. Maybe the other three have one loss, but maybe for the first time we have a two-loss. I was going to say, I think there could be a two-loss team in there. You know, you even look at, for example, this is what I was saying, Pat, and and I want your thoughts on this about the Notre Dame, for example. Notre Dame really needs Clemson to be to to bounce back 
and maybe even beat Florida State because I think for, for Notre Dame, when you've got USC and Ohio State, if you can beat Clemson and Clemson has a shadow of real Clemson, then that offsets one of those two if you were to drop one of those two games or even drop two of them. But but you need Clemson to be good. I mean, I, I would think that Florida State-Clemson game is critical for Notre Dame's shot. But your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I like if you're Notre Dame, especially like if – I mean, if you win Saturday, boy, you've taken a big step towards everything. But you're rooting then for both Clemson and USC to continue to be good all year so that those games – means something especially if you win but also even if you lose it doesn't necessarily uh, disqualify you so without the you know the 13th data point that they uh, harumph about with Notre Dame not having conference championship game and those sort of things it, it, you want all you want all the cushion you can get you know take all the arguments that the committee may have against you out of play uh, if possible that I mean the easiest way is to go 12 and 0 but even if you go 11 and 1 and you've You've played some good teams, three really good teams, and maybe some others that are pretty good. That would really help you. Pat Forty joins us. You know him from Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter at Pat Forty. Pat, how much of Saturday for Notre Dame comes down to containing Marvin Harrison Jr.? Well, it does for sure. I mean, you know, if he has 210 yards and three touchdowns or four touchdowns, it's probably not going to end well. For Notre Dame, um, you know Notre Dame's secondary is good. Uh, they've got guys. They, they, you know, they. I think that they can rush the passer. They don't get a lot of sacks necessarily, but they they can get in the backfield, disrupt. Um, I had the stats in my column this week. I, five interceptions, like fifteen or sixteen pass breakups. Uh, so you know they are a disruptive pass defense. They're they're number one in the nation right now in pass efficiency defense. But let's be honest about who they played. You know, Navy doesn't know how to throw the ball. Tennessee State is an FCS team, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, this will be a huge step up. And if if Marvin Harrison goes off on you, you could maybe still survive as long as nobody else is going off on you as well. You know, Pat, it's interesting because Pat Forty's our guest, by the way. You can read his work at SI.com, including latest articles about this weekend's big games. College football's favorite darling and Lane Kiffin is one of those that he has written about in the last week. Um, Pat separation Saturday usually it seems to me to use that term is usually a little bit later in the season but here we are early on I mean this seems to me Pat to be as as full a slate of games that really can kind of separate and be bolder in the stream for teams that I remember this early on um, Notre Dame Ohio State is going to be the big one give me a couple other games that really wet your whistle that you go yeah that that can have serious implications yeah, I mean, there's at least seven. <laughs> I mean, it's loaded. I agree that we don't usually get a slate like this in September. Uh, obviously, Oregon-Colorado is fascinating. I think we get a little bit of a reality check for Colorado this weekend. Um, I think Oregon could smoke them. But, you know, Oregon's good, too. So let's see how how, how Oregon looks. Um, Utah-UCLA, very good game. Iowa-Penn State, that's a root canal game for Penn State, especially, you know, there's, I think, the, like a 50% chance of rain. If it's going to rain a lot, that that's just more advantage Iowa for turning it into a field position slog. Um, let's see, Clemson-Florida State, yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, what else am I missing? I'm not sure, but uh, it, is, it is a fantastic uh, slate of games. Uh, even, you know, beyond that, some other – games that don't necessarily match up two 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 ranked teams but uh, there's a lot going on that will help us get a clearer picture of where this is all going is 
and I'm going to ask this maybe personally, but I do think that it has some national implication, as we talked about with Notre Dame, for example. Um, my concern, Pat, I'm a open disclaimer. I am a Clemson football fan. Okay, that that's the team that I go and I watch their games. I go to the stadium, etc. But I worry that Clemson is sliding back. Water's finding its level in Clemson because it's a program that has not adapted to college football in 2023. And by that, I mean transfer portal, open NIL, etc. And that Dabo Sweeney was a little late to the game, and it's hurt them in that regard. Is there some truth to that, or did we is Duke better than we thought? Well, I do think Duke's pretty good, but there's absolutely truth to that. This is not the Clemson of 2018, that's for sure, or 17, 16, 15. You know, they had that preposterous run of great teams, really, you know, through Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Um, but that's not where they are right now. Um, gosh, where are the wide receivers? Uh, quarterback Klubnik may still become the guy he was touted to be, but he makes a lot of mistakes right now. Um, offensive line is just an offensive line. Defense is pretty good, I think, but you know, can they, can they overcome the amount of mistakes they make, and do they have the talent to match up with Florida State and with Notre Dame and some other people on their schedule? So, yeah, no, Dabo, absolutely too stubborn for his own good. And the way he's run his program, I mean, look, it's worked. It's been a hallmark of consistency but at some point, consistency becomes outdated. Continuity becomes outdated. And, you know, he had kept hiring from within. Uh, yes, as you said, didn't get into the portal. Reluctant to fully embrace NIL. And we've seen what's happened all around him. So uh, Clemson has definitely taken a step back. So the antithesis of all of that, and it's obviously working, would be what Deion Sanders has done at Colorado and what he has meant to college football in general. So, Pat Forty, question for you, for me, is this about the the Deion Sanders Colorado thing? Is that going to be the? It's a copycat game. Are other schools now going to be open towards trying to find dynamic? Eddie had mentioned yesterday, Ocho Cinco type guys, guys that are dynamic, have a swagger about them that kids are going to buy into and give more a chance than simply going back and getting like retread coordinators from Alabama for their head coaching opening. Yeah, I'm I'm wary of that. You know, I think Deion Sanders is one of one. I don't think you can you can copycat Deion Sanders. It's pretty hard uh, to argue that, yeah. You know, he is just he is an incredible force of personality. Uh he's extremely intelligent. He understands how to market and sell better than anybody in college football. Uh, and he's hired a good staff, and like they're they're coaching them, you know, they're doing a good job. Um, so I don't think you go, you can just say, oh yeah, you know what? Let's find a popular former NFL star and make him a head football coach, and say that's going to work, you know. I mean, now, to Dion's credit, and he said this, you know, he put in two or three years at, at Jackson State and did a great job, and then he was a high school coach, and he was a you know a seven on seven kind of coach. I mean, he was at least around the game and put in some work there so that, you know, he didn't just come parachuting out of the TV studio or out of retirement and say, hey, I'd like to coach, you know. So he's uh, put in some sweat equity, uh, I think, to build himself to where he is. The other thing about him that's so unique, Pat, is, and this is very easy for me to forget because I'm, you know, 51 years old now. It's been a long time since he played, but yet almost any high school kid – 
knows and and is aware of and is touched by the magnetism of Deion Sanders. His star still burns very bright, whereas in today's culture, typically people are a star for like three years and then they're completely forgotten about. Like, I think people forget. I hear Indiana basketball fans, you know, that are like, man, how much does it mean for Mike Woodson to walk? And I'm like, look, Mike Woodson has more cachet with a kid because he coached in the NBA within the last 10 years than the fact that he was the 1980 starter for Indiana's basketball team. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. But, yes, Dion has enduring name recognition and star power. Um, He was an incredibly unique player, arguably the best cover corner we've ever seen, an electrifying kick returner a baseball player at the same time, um, flashy as hell. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> the stuff that he wore and did at Florida State, you know, Bobby Bowden was a great coach for him because Bobby's like, I don't care as long as we, you win, and he did. But, you know, there, again, he is one of one. There has just not been anybody else like him out there, and that's one of the reasons that he can still have that uh, that connection with people, young people, at age 56. Other thing, and then we'll end the Colorado talk because it's become obviously ubiquitous, but I said a couple weeks ago, Pat, I want your thought on this. Pat Forty of SI is our guest. I keep hearing people talk about where Deion Sanders is going to go from here, and Florida State's got a fine young football coach. I I think they did a great job in going kind of outside and finding a guy that really has the Seminoles in the right direction, so it doesn't look like they're going to be you know, in need anytime soon. Deion Sanders has been open about the fact of like, hey, man, my degree's from an HBCU. It's not even from Florida State. There's no reason for him to leave Colorado, is there? If he wants to stay in the college game, can't he build Colorado right back to Bill McCartney, Colorado, and not even have to leave Boulder? I think so. Uh, He can at least try, and I think he's willing to try. You know, I don't get the feeling like – He'll hold Colorado for for ransom here at the end of the season if they're like eight and four. Oh yeah, uh, and he will double his salary from five point five to a ten or eleven. Um, but I don't think he wants to go. I think he wants to stay there and coach his kids. Um, and I think you can do a lot at Colorado. It's been proven they've won national championship in the past. Weird year nineteen ninety, but they did it. Um, so you know. It, do you want to do that or yes? Do you want to go try to recreate the wheel somewhere else? I think as long as Colorado is, you know, quote-unquote aligned, as coaches like to say, in terms of NIL funding, collectives, uh, facilities, and paying Dion. then I think he's perfectly willing to, to give it a go there. One of the best covering college athletics, Pat Forty, is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at ByPatForty and find his work. Great coverage leading up to a monster weekend in college football and Sports Illustrated. Pat, is this Lane Kiffin's last best chance to best Saban? Um, I don't know. I think he's going to have a lot of chances to beat Saban as long as Saban stays on the job. Because I think Nick Saban's in decline. Um, you know, I think I think he's past uh, peak Nick Saban by a good ways, and we won't see him win another national title. Now, does Saban want to keep coaching? I don't know how long. You know, but uh, Kiffin, this is just this is an opportunity to do it. Like Alabama isn't very good. Mississippi's pretty good. Uh, this is your chance to beat the guy you haven't been able to beat, the biggest bully on the block in the SEC West. Uh, you know, are you mature enough as a coach to go in, have your team ready, handle yourself, handle your business, and win the game in Tuscaloosa? That's the big question. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily his window closing at Mississippi, but this is a boy, this is a golden opportunity sitting right there on a platter for him. 
Pat, last question for me before we get to what upcoming things people can read from you on SI. We were just talking about great college football environments. Obviously, everyone knows, you know, SEC schools at night, Notre Dame, Clemson, you know, some of the Colorado, for that matter, probably pretty good right now. Give me a a program or a, a game or a stadium that you and your travels and your coverage have visited that people actually would be surprised that it's a fabulous environment that everybody should do once, but they wouldn't think of it because it's not necessarily a superpower. Yeah, right. Um, well, Penn State's pretty obvious, so but uh, I would mention them in there as well. But the one that jumps out to me, I, I was his Nippert at Cincinnati. It's like 39,000 seats. It's tucked into campus. When they're good, they really get rocking there. Um, it's just a naturally noisy venue. And it's a cool little environment. Um, so, you know, they've got Oklahoma coming in there tomorrow. Cincinnati kind of dropped the ball last week, losing to Miami of Ohio. That would have been another, like, pretty big game uh, for their first Big 12 game, have Oklahoma coming in there. So I would imagine they're going to have a very good environment for that one. Lastly, give me a couple of upcoming columns that we can read from Pat Forty on SI. Well, let's see. I had one uh, yesterday that for, for some of your local audience, they're just like, comparing uh, Marcus Freeman and Ryan Day, two guys that were promoted from within at schools that don't normally do that. Can Marcus Freeman do as well as Brian Kelly? Can Ryan Day do as well as Urban Meyer? Uh, this game is a big one for both those guys, I think. Um, got the, the story on Kiffin, um, uh, 40-yard dash this week. We talked about all seven of the big games in that. Um, about petulant coaches who uh, are instigators, and uh, and then obviously a, a lot of prime, Coach Prime out there. Well, just make sure if you have to cover USC, you don't do anything to upset the apple cart out there, right? They'll ban you in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Pat, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we look forward to the coverage. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, that's Pat Forty joining us on the hotline here. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Look, I've been to South Bend for many a game. I've seen Notre Dame-Purdue. I've been to a couple Notre Dame-USC games, albeit towards the middle 2000s where those games weren't close. And usually you were satisfied with the idea that you kept the game close. That's not the feel this weekend. Notre Dame, Ohio State, at South Bend, at Notre Dame Stadium. Who better to have on to get us ready than Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune, one of our favorites. Tom, is that good enough buildup for the matchup? Does it warrant it? And how are you doing? You lost me at Notre Dame-Purdue, my man. This, 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 this is not Notre Dame-Purdue. It could be close to Notre Dame-USC, but it's it's nice to have a big build up to this game being the fifth game of the year and not last year when these two teams are playing in Columbus and Notre Dame has no shot to going over there and winning. It's a little different feel for myriad reasons for this Notre Dame football program right now around town. You know, the interesting thing about it is a a year ago, to your point, 
the the chasm between the two programs certainly at least in perception was I wouldn't say huge but it was notable between Ohio State and Notre Dame it feels like that's shifted Tom like it feels like right now for this particular installment I think Ohio State obviously Ryan Day's got a great thing going there but it feels like Ohio State isn't vintage Ohio State maybe this year just yet and Notre Dame is it is running at a really good pace but do we truly know yet who Notre Dame is or is this the weekend we find out this is the weekend we have to find out. Like, And Marcus Freeman and the players have said the previous four weeks, whether it was Navy or Tennessee State or even at North Carolina State when things got a little wacky with the weather and everything, and then last week against Central Michigan, they have said after every single game, we have not played to our potential. We have not seen who we can be as a, as a, 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 a collective unit from week one to week 12. This is something that they've been building toward, the way the schedule was set up with those first four games, to be peaking at the right moment against Ohio State to where they go out and they play, and who knows, they win, they lose, whoever, whatever happens. But you look at that game tomorrow night at the stadium and you say, that's what this Notre Dame team could be in 2023. Tom, for neutrals watching this matchup, what as you've seen them so far through the first four weeks or four games for them of the season, what what is the true identity of this Notre Dame team? Is the fact that they have a quarterback now in Sam Hartman? Is it the traditional Irish running game? Is their defense? Where would you identify to those that maybe don't have a dog in the fight but are locked in to watch it, what this Notre Dame team is? Your father's Notre Dame fan will say, oh, it's the running game with the offensive line and Audric Destiné. And it's the fact that they're, they're, they're the number one pass efficiency defense in the country. All that stuff is fine and good, but as I wrote this week in, in the South Bend Tribune, nothing happens with this program this year, whatever happens tomorrow night, whatever happens the rest of the way, without Sam Hartman. Like The difference in this Notre Dame team, the difference that, that people feel good about this Notre Dame team going into playing Ohio State as opposed to last year is they finally have a quarterback. And this is the reason they decided last year when they're watching them play Ohio State, when they're watching Notre Dame get shredded against USC out at the Coliseum over Thanksgiving weekend, Marcus Freeman and his staff said, look, if we're going to be elite, we need to go get ourselves an elite quarterback. And to have Sam Hartman here, this is the reason they brought him here. And, and he is the reason that the Irish fans are saying, you know what? Ohio State, we got a pretty good shot tomorrow night. Tom, the... The thing about Marcus Freeman that is intriguing, you know, th- this is a guy that that's, he looks the part, right? I mean, you you watch him when he was first tabbed is you know essentially the interim coach. When, when and I can't remember if there was an interim process with Brian Kelly if he was named right away. He might have been named right away. And my apologies for not remembering that exactly, but um, you could tell players immediately rallied around this guy, and you know, and now obviously there there is more solidarity of the fact that Marcus it took a while right to realize Marcus Freeman's the coach of Notre Dame is he a different coach has he changed or evolved or matured at all or was it basically the way he was on day one is the way they're running things right now he's a little different than last season but then again you have to be because this job changes you like last year he and this program he he had to he had to go through the game at Marshall where they were against Marshall where they lost he had to go against the, and, and experience the game against Stanford, where they lost, and they shouldn't have, should have no business losing to Stanford. Like that, that molds you as a coach. Like again, 
Marcus Freeman never has had gone through that before last season. So he didn't understand the job. He didn't understand what it was like to be a head coach. Now that he does, I think you're seeing more and more his identity rub off on his team. And even his players said this week, like, like they, they understand what coach free is about last year. They didn't, it was like, Hey, he was the, he's a former D coordinator. He's a player's coach. He's a hell of a guy. But what kind of head coach is he going to be? Like they've been able to find that out through this process, and I think it's it's taken this buildup of going nine and four last year, and then going four and zero this year for Marcus Freeman to get this program and even get himself into a position to where they're looking at Ohio State and they're saying we should win this football game. Long time knower and writer of all things Notre Dame athletics for the South Bend Tribune, Tom Noy, taking some time with us here on Query and Company, Tom. Notre Dame gets three starters back this week. Linebacker J.D. Bertrand, safety D.J. Brown, and tight end Mitchell Evans. How big are those returnees for Notre Dame this week? Or was it one of those things where they are at a point offensively with where they're built and defensively where they're built that it's nice, but they would have been okay without them? Mitchell Evans is their best blocking tight end. So against a team like Ohio State, and and if you're going to run the ball and you're going to run on our guesstimate, you better have Mitchell Evans there blowing open some holes there on, against the, the Ohio State defense. So he was key, and really, I think J.D. Bertrand. You look at some of the some of the leakage that they had last week against Central Michigan as far as tackling, as far as finishing plays defensively. That was caused because J.D. Bertrand was on the sideline. He changes things, and and he changes the way this defense approaches stuff. He has all the calls. He knows everybody's assignment, and to an extent, D.J. Brown too. So. To have those three guys back, Notre Dame could not be in any better position from a health standpoint going into this game on Saturday because all their key guys, even Sam Hartman, who tweaked his knee last week against Central Michigan, where the entire season flashed before everybody's eyes. Everybody that needs to be healthy for Notre Dame is healthy. Tom, we're going to get into the DeLorean here, and with (laughs) 1.21 gigawatts, we're going to go to the future to Sunday, okay? I go online, immediately pull up your column, your game column for Notre Dame and Ohio State, and it I see at the, the very top, the headline, Notre Dame knocks off Ohio State, and I'm reading your column. The very opening statement is going to say that Notre Dame defeated Ohio State because they were able to successfully do what? And don't say score more points. <laughs> uh, successfully play their type of football game and to unleash Sam Hartman. Like, again, it cannot be overstated enough, guys. Sam Hartman is the biggest difference that Notre Dame has a chance tomorrow night. And if Notre Dame wins tomorrow night, Sam Hartman, this is going to be his first step to possibly winning the Heisman Trophy and getting on that bullet train because if Notre Dame wins this game, watch out. Buckle up because this thing's going to take off like a rocket. Sam Hartman will be the difference. Sam Hartman has to be in my lead on Sunday morning when I write that column. Okay, now the other side of it. I go to South Bend Tribune. I read your column. It says, Ohio State upends Notre Dame on the road. The first paragraph is going to say, because Ohio State did what? And don't say scored more points. Not necessarily what Ohio State did. It's what Notre Dame didn't do, and that's answer the moment. I wrote earlier this week, if not tomorrow, then when for this program? Like, yeah, I know they beat Clemson last year, but now we see that Clemson's a little bit down. It's not the Clemson of old. Oh, they beat Clemson in 2020 when Clemson was the number one team in the country. That was a wacky, weird type of strange night because it was COVID. And there are only 11,000 fans in the stands. Like, this is, this is the moment that they've pointed to with Marcus Freeman to get them over that proverbial 
talent gap hump where you can't beat Alabama, you can't beat Georgia, you can't beat Ohio State last year. This is their moment, and I think I, I would be really surprised, maybe even stunned, if they don't answer that moment and they play Notre Dame football and they're standing there on Sunday morning when this game finally ends on Saturday and they're 5-0. and Tom, last thing I have for you, will there be more or less red than there was for the Georgia game? There will be way less. I think they've done a better job. Remember, when they played that Georgia game, Jimmy, Notre Dame was coming off a 4-8 and eight season. People were down on Notre Dame football. Why come see Georgia? Georgia wasn't Georgia at that point. They're like, bring an SEC team up here for a, for a night game. Here, you can have my tickets. If you're going to give me $4,000 for a pair of tickets or three tickets, whatever it was, here, take my tickets. The juice, the excitement, the energy is totally different now that Notre Dame's 4-0, and I can hopefully, from a standpoint of not seeing a sea of red again tomorrow night, hopefully the Notre Dame fans are saying, you know what, we're keeping these tickets. Send the Ohio State fans to the linebacker to watch this thing. Bucks and Irish tomorrow night. Tom, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you again. You're the man, Tom. You got it. You got it, fellas. Have a great weekend. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Half past two here on a Friday. Colts in Baltimore taking on the Ravens on Sunday in what could be a Mother Nature-affected affair. We shall see on that. But we do know that Anthony Richardson is out. Gardner Minshew will be the quarterback. On the call will be Beth Moens, who is kind enough to join us from CBS here on the hotline. Beth, first... Um, thanks for the time today. I'm curious, and I'll get right to this. When you are preparing for this game and you're looking at the storylines, obviously for Indianapolis, the Anthony Richardson storyline would be the big one, but that's gone now. We now know it's Gardner Minshew. What most intrigues you from the Colts' standpoint? Well, I I had a chance to cover Gardner in um, college, and then obviously I've been watching him around um, the NFL, and I I think the one thing that – you know, our, our crew's been talking. You'd be hard pressed to find, uh, you know, a whole lot better option as a number two guy than him. The experience he brings, but also the versatility. You know, they can continue to run some of the same stuff, so it won't be, you know, totally new for him. So I, I think his experience could play a big role in this, um, especially like you said that you know the weather could be a real issue. Um, and and I, I was really um, impressed with the way he came on and played last week. Um, Obviously, when the weather is like uh, we what we expect it to be, the ground game is going to be huge. Both of these defenses are really good against the run, really solid up front with good linebackers. So that's probably the most intriguing, um, you know, one-on-one or seven-on-seven, if you will, as to which which group can control the run better in what could be a, a sloppy track. You know, Beth, Chris Ballard for the last few drafts has really invested in the defensive line primarily to try to get some sort of a pass rush and 
you know, there, there was a lot of patience that was requested, I think, about waiting to see what this defensive line group can do. And I agree with you. I mean, in the last, you know, two games does not a season make, but so far, really pretty good. I think their line it looks like it's pretty stout and can be aggressive. Um, in yep. the talks that you've had, what about that line has really jumped out to you? Well, I, I think you've got really good leadership um, in the middle, and and you know, just listening to you guys all week, and and um, you know, chatting with with coaches, and uh, you know, our analysts that do a fabulous job. Th- those two guys in the middle, I think, is where it, it really starts with with far, um, you know, with Buckner, and then the way that Stewart's been playing, and then you've got that terrific linebacking core to be able to to clean things up. So, you know, uh, I've been listening to Syken all week talk about how well they played up front. Both of these clubs have, you know, a game against Houston, which, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But um, I think they've been taking care of what they can take care of. And when you've got six sacks from six different guys, that also tells me about how everybody is all in and it's kind of all hands on deck and they're all able to make plays. Beth, as Jake kind of mentioned to start the conversation with the forecast being what it is this weekend in those conversations that you've had, or perhaps in those conversations you're going to have with coach Harbaugh and coach Steichen, has there been a, not a hint of how they're going to play that, but, but if they're at all worried about how dreadful the conditions could be on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think probably for both sides, you're, you're going to have your extensive playbook and then you're going to have your, your mother nature playbook, if you will. Um, I think it's probably similar for both sides. Perhaps Lamar has the stronger arm and might be able to add some more throws, but it is supposed to be pretty windy down here too. So, you know, that might limit what you can do, you know, with the long ball into the outside of the field. And and so I, I think probably from their perspective, that is going to be huge. How much of a pass game can you include? And then obviously the ball security becomes huge in a game like that, and you got to have guys that can hang on to that wet football you know beth i'm curious in your coverage of nfl games in doing play-by-play for games you know obviously as we just talked about or it was illuminated you guys do the preparation of meeting with the coaches and kind of getting a preview of what to expect before you do a national broadcast do you think people would be surprised to know the sim- how similar one franchise is to the next or is it the opposite of that? Do you like do, do most teams seem to have one of say two or three or four blueprints per game, or is it literally different from every franchise of every week to the next, where you see something different every time you're going through the preparation? I I think you know from my experience the base um, of what you're trying to do can be very similar, and then based on who the opponent is on any given week is when you find, um, you know, different coaching staffs handling things in a different way. And I I think that's probably where, uh, you know, every um, franchise, their kind of culture comes into play. You've got a guy like John Harbaugh that's been around, you know, for a long, long time. They have a way of doing things. And, and, you know, one of the things that, that we'll be talking about certainly with the Ravens is, not only do you have coaching, uh, the coaching staff that can set the standard, but you've got veteran players that have been there that are passing that on to the, to the younger guys. And, and so I think that stability, if you've had a coaching staff in place, can, can be you know, a big advantage. Um, but I think from the, the Colts' standpoint, you've got 
um, a lot of new guys with a new coach, and everybody wants to get their foothold with one another. And so I think you've definitely got the attention um, when you have a staff that's new like that, and especially when you're making the the change at quarterback, which is what it sounds like will be the case um, to Gardner Minshew this week. So I think you see – Subtle changes, I think the base is pretty similar from place to place. And then it's what you, how you adapt in-game, ultimately, that is what you know decides outcomes. I think you touched on something interesting there, Beth. Beth Mullins is our guest who will be on the call for the Colts and Ravens coming up on Sunday. When you talk about the culture of Baltimore, now, Beth, I'm going to be honest with you. When I think of the Ravens, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm still convinced, I mentioned this this week, that like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed are out there. And then I have to remind myself, that was like two NFL generations ago. But Baltimore is one of those teams that it seems as though the brand of how they play stays the same, and that's probably on John Harbaugh, I, I realize. But where are they defensively, and what challenges will they create? Yeah, I I think defensively they are the the same type of Baltimore that we've been accustomed to in years past. Uh, These two linebackers, uh, you know, I I think when you look at both these teams, actually the linebackers are top-notch. So when you've got guys like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen that are, you know, your top two tacklers and you've got those big bodies, I mean, look at the size of the guys up front that are, you know, taking care of eating up all the blockers so that those other guys behind them can run around and make plays. I think the big challenge, and the weather will, um, you know, play a big role in this. Is can you threaten that secondary that will likely have uh, another, you know, uh, week without Humphrey or Williams? We'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, they may have another couple of guys that are dinged up. So, can you challenge them back there? Do you have the time to challenge them back there with the kind of heat that they can bring? Uh, you know, defensively un- under Mike McDonald, their numbers are are still really good, and, and it's going to be real hard to get off to a fast start. I, I don't believe they've uh, given up um, a first down yet in, in the first quarter, I should say. So, uh, it, you know, you're going to start out likely with some three and outs, and you got to figure out ways to just try and break through. Beth, we're only two games in, I know that, and maybe it's because we haven't seen him consistently due to his health the last couple of seasons, but does Lamar Jackson look the best that he's been in his career at this point, or is it too early in the season to go that far? I think he looks and feels as good as he did during the MVP season. I think the um, the contract uh, talks being behind him is a huge relief. Um, I, I think being healthy again for him, you know, he, he's been telling folks this week here in Baltimore just how brutal it was to have to watch the playoffs last season. So I think he's inspired. I think he's still as determined as ever to get this team back to a Super Bowl and, and play for a ring. And I, I you know, just it, it, to see his face light up when you ask him about a guy like Zay Flowers, you know, their fantastic rookie wide receiver. I, I don't believe, guys, they've ever had an all-pro wide receiver in the history of the franchise. And so now you've got four first-round guys that are catching balls for him, and I, I think he's just, you know, that proverbial kid in the candy store. You know, it's interesting, Beth, Indianapolis is a franchise that, you know, as you know, for the last, you know, around here, the quarterback search, people almost became, they forgot about it, right? Because it's a franchise that for the first 10 years they were here in town, it was a rotating door at quarterback. Then obviously you're stable for essentially whatever, 18 years. And now here they are again with Anthony Richardson. I know that you're not going to be able to see him on Sunday, that we know, but you would have obviously been talking about and asking about him in anticipation you might see him. 
What is not only your observation of Richardson, but the general consensus league-wide that you think people feel about him? Yeah. Well, you know, we get a chance to work this week with, with Jay Feely and James Lofton and Amanda Renner and, and everyone, you know, as, as much as we enjoy talking with Gardner, and I, I think he's, you know, such a quality guy, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of, of, you know, feeling like a bummer that we won't see Richardson because of all the things that he brings to the table. I, I think probably around the league, um, the expectations were met, if not exceeded, with the way he's been able to handle that offense. And so it all comes down to, I know the conversations around Indy, you know, just listening and, and reading what everybody's been writing is, how do we make sure this guy stays healthy? And that's going to be, you know, the big challenge moving forward because, you know, so many of these younger guys, they want to do everything, and they're so good and so athletic and so ahead of the game, even though he didn't play a whole lot in college. Um, we've, as, a, as our crew, we've been really impressed watching him this week on tape and, and what he's been able to put together. And I, I think there is good reason that, you know, there should be some excitement back in Indianapolis if, if there's a way to keep him healthy. Beth, the last thing I want to ask you, I'm sure you've been asked before, um, but I haven't had the opportunity to ask you. I don't know that our listeners would have heard you specifically answering this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm under the assumption, especially right now, people might be in the car with their kids in the car, including their daughters who are adventuring into sports or into areas that maybe they feel hesitant because, you know, people might say, well, you're a girl, you know, you, you, you can't be playing that sport or you shouldn't be doing this. You're the first female to do a nationally televised NFL game. That's well documented. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are in an arena, as you know, that is predominantly male. Um, what yeah. would you say to people listening, whether it be gender or in any area or aspect that feel like there's something where other people would think they can't do something and what it was for you that enabled you to become a pioneer as you have? Yeah. Well, I think the the most important thing, especially in this day and age, is to surround yourself with people who care that will, you know, be honest with you and, and give you constructive criticism, but also be there to, you know, whether it's a pat on the back or a, a kick in the backside to keep you motivated and keep you going. I had the good fortune, you know, I'm a coach's kid and I grew up around guys my whole life and played sports against older people my whole life. So, you know, for somebody like me or or like Amanda, you know, that's going to be on the, on the call with us this week, we've been around sports our whole lives. I don't know anything different. Uh, What do you mean? You're the only girl in the room. I never even noticed before. So, um, you know, from that perspective, you're, you got your head down and you're just, you're doing your job. Um, what's cool about the Colts is, you know, the very first game I did with CBS was with Jake Feely and, uh, in, in Indy. And I, I always remember, you know, there's a moment during a timeout or at halftime and you, you look down in the crowd and there's a dad down there and he's at the game with his daughter and they're turned around pointing up at the booth. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a cool moment. You, you do have an impact on people's lives. And um, I, I think the biggest thing is as early as you can, don't be afraid discover what your weaknesses are um and my mine was actually i was kind of shy growing up um uh, around people i didn't know and so you've got to figure out what your weaknesses are and turn those into strengths you've got to be willing to make put yourself in uncomfortable positions so that the next time out you're more comfortable doing it and that's um kind of you know my uh my my mark twain uh school and i, I didn't let my uh education get in the way of my what why why out on a limb that's where the fruit is and life is for chasing fruit 
Now, that education, I know you were at undergrad at Lafayette, I think, when it happened, but you're a native of Syracuse. Your dad was a basketball coach. Yeah. So, in conclusion, yeah. uh, how bad did Keith Smart break your heart? I, I was, like, running around frantically, Why jumping up and down, hugging everybody. But... We had such a lovely conversation. <laughs> and so, now i got to pull this knife out of my heart. <laughs> it's, Beth, I know it's hard, to re- it's hard to remember for me as well, but trust me, people, oh. around, people in Indiana are well aware of the fact that it was 36 years ago. And counting, right? Oh, till till the day I die, how was Key Smart able to get that shot up? And then the other Syracuse loss at the Final Four was how could Derek Coleman miss that free throw? Oh, jeepers. Derek Coleman, nineteen rebounds, baby. Trust me, I've only watched the last eight minutes. I've watched the last eight minutes every morning for breakfast all through high school, Beth. Trust me. Oh, you guys, killing me. Little did we know, Beth, that would be the signature moment of Indiana, and I'm now fifty-one years old, right? It's been wild. Yes. Hey, Beth. uh, Certainly appreciate the time and enjoy the game, and we'll enjoy watching it on Sunday between the Colts and the Ravens. But appreciate the time today. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, Beth Mowens will be on the call for CBS. Again, grew up, went to Lafayette College and graduate school at Syracuse, but grew up in Syracuse. And you had to know. I mean, I'm telling you, she's right, though. How did Keysmart get that shot off? Because Daryl Thomas saw the double team, kicked it out. That's how. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.